Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today we have a special edition of the podcast with uh, some special hospital partner guests from the county joining us to do some myth busting. And if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know that we like to bust myths around here. And today we're going to take a little more operational as opposed to a clinical approach and talk about freestanding emergency departments and their role in patient care here in the community in Montgomery County. And luckily, we've got guests from all of our hospital uh, system partners, and I'm going to let all of our guests introduce themselves, and then we're going to roll into some freestanding emergency department sort of question and answer sessions. So go for Great. it. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Alan Lowe. I'm the regional medical director for uh, the Gulf Coast uh, for Envision Services uh, under the HCA hospital uh, system. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Lowe. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Jason Knight, and I'm the Chief Medical Officer and ED Director at Houston Methodist, the Woodlands Hospital. Thank you very much for the invitation to join the podcast today. Thanks, Dr. Knight. Hello. My name's Ron Jensen. I'm a Regional Medical Director as well over the CHI St. Luke's campuses. Thanks, Dr. Jensen. All right. My name is uh, Dr. Michael Bublovich. I'm the System Chief Medical Officer over Emergency Services for Memorial Hermann. Thanks, Dr. Bublovich. And if y'all are listening to the podcast, you know HCA Methodist. CHI St. Luke's, Memorial Hermann, all of our receiving hospitals, uh, minus Texas Children's, don't would be remiss if we don't bring them up, but they don't have uh, freestanding EDs in the in the community. So we're we're talking more, um, you know, more of our general adult patients here. And realistically, here within MCHD, we pushed freestanding ED transport uh, to our paramedics over the past two to three months an effort to try to increase patient satisfaction, keep patients in their uh, neighborhood, in their, in their community, and to decrease turnaround time for our ambulances. So this has been something that's hopefully gonna be a win-win for, for the entire community. Um, but some of the medics listening out there, you know, may have some, some questions, some knowledge gaps about what the freestanding emergency departments have to offer. Um, so for, our freestanding partners describe to the medics in general what where your facilities are located and basically what they have to offer and we'll we'll take it and go around in in uh sure. i guess clockwise fashion sure uh so for our ac facilities uh, we have uh, 16 in the uh, uh gulf coast which includes those that are in the houston market as well as south texas um so for our in terms of capabilities uh, we have the full spectrum uh, that you would expect from the main emergency department, everything that you would need to treat and diagnose a patient acutely. Uh, and, when, and what I mean by that is uh, we can, uh, in terms of imaging, have everything from CT, uh, ultrasound, and uh, x-rays. Uh, all of these are read uh, 24 hours by a radiologist. Uh, we also have all the lab capabilities that you expect from an emergency department. Uh, and that includes some of the, th the cardiac markers uh, that may, we may not uh, realize. And I think that's one of the big points uh, that I want to make sure is brought in here that these freestandings, we can see acute patients like chest pain and abdominal pain. Troponins, BMPs, D-dimers are all capable tests that we have at our facilities. 
So from Houston Methodist standpoint, our freestanding emergency department is located on the corner of Kirkendall and 1488. It's an excellent facility. We are fully capable also. So we have x-ray and full radiology imaging there. We have CT imaging there. We do not have an MRI machine. Our MRIs are referred to the main hospital. We do have a full lab. We have 24-7 ultrasound at the facility. We can do CPR. We can intubate. We can TPA strokes. We can do STEMIs. All of our times from our emergency department are actually really good, secondary to the assistance from MCHD and their amazing response times. We do not have blood at that particular facility, so we can't transfuse. But in general, we are a fully capable emergency department, and they're all board-certified emergency physicians. So you get the same exact care at our freestanding emergency department as you do at the main, outside of transfusions and MRI. For CHI St. Luke's, um, I would echo what these gentlemen have already said. Uh, we have the exact same capabilities, fully stocked crash cart, ultrasound, CT, uh, regular radiographs, and, and the same labs. And honestly, I don't know about the other places, but our lab turnaround time at the freestanding is honestly a whole lot quicker than it is in the, in the regular hospital. Um, our, our overall length of stay for most of our patients in the freestanding EDs is shorter than it is in the uh, regular emergency department for those reasons. We get everything back so much quicker. Uh, just like the other facilities, our radiologic studies are overread over 24-7 by a, a radiologist. And uh, our primary location uh, within the MCHD distribution is the, the location right off 45 in Conroe. Uh, and for Memorial Hermann, substantially similar as well. It would, it, you'll probably find that the main hospital systems in the area have similar capabilities. One nuance with Memorial Hermann is we do stock blood in each of our freestandings as well. So to the degree that a patient does need emergent transfusion, we, we, can, we can get that started while we, we send them to, for more definitive care. So, uh, and, and the imaging capabilities, radiology overread, same capabilities as, as everywhere else. And, and we've got two freestandings in, in the market, one toward the back of the woodland off of uh, Lake Woodlands and then the, the other one off of 99, effectively. Right. Okay. And just to back up to HCA and Dr. Lowe, the mm -hmm. primary HCA facility within our MCHD uh, service area is the Cleveland location. Uh, That's primarily. correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, realistically, you know, why else is this on our radar at MCHD? And when we talked about, you know, turnaround time de decreases, you know, we're still right in, in the middle of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And, you know, these locations are an excellent pop-off valve for us as well in times of, of strain on the main ED. So to be able to utilize them and have them as part of our sort of transport side armamentarium is going to be valuable and maybe even more valuable as flu season rolls in. And, and if the pandemic continues to progress, let's hope it doesn't. But, you know, if it does, having more mm -hmm. options for transport is nothing but valuable for, the, for our patients and for the community. So that's a little bit of an overview of what we have to offer in the community and what our hospital partners have to offer. Let's bust some myths. So there are some persistent myths amongst the medics here at MCHD and, and that have made, you know, through some of our surveys been, been made clear. And we want to really address some of those. And some of these are really the reasons that make FSCD transports a difficult sell. And one of the, one of the major myths involves a financial uh, concern and this is one that is not unreasonable it definitely sounds logical and that is quote what if I have to pay for a second ambulance unquote and so if you're a medic out there listening you decide 
you know, grandma fell and hurt her shin and she wants to go to the emergency department, but you're worried if there's a fracture and she has to be transported from the freestanding to the main ED, could there be two ambulance bills in there? I don't want to, you know, burden a patient with a second bill. Let's just take her to the main ED and, and make it more cost effective for her. Let's go ahead and I'll let Dr. Lowe bust this myth. Go ahead and, and uh, talk a little bit about this, how you guys deal with that within your system. You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And obviously, you, you don't want to cause more burden to the patient. They've already come to the emergency department to get two bills. It'd just be uh, more of an issue than not. Uh, so I just confirmed with the rest of the team here at all the hospital systems. So for all of us that uh, have patients who are freestanding, they're all associated with the main hospital. And if we keep those patients and admit them to our main facilities in our own systems, there is no second charge. And so that's just kind of a, I think, a hopefully a straightforward answer uh, to the point. And so the, for all of our patients that stay within our systems, it'll, there won't be a second charge. And just for clarification, the rest of, rest of the round table agrees with that. I agree. At Houston Methodist, we uh, can directly admit people from our freestanding ED to our ICUs and to our floor. We fully cover um, any patient that stays in our system. The only time it's not fully covered is if the patient goes from a Houston Methodist freestanding emergency department to Memorial Hermann or to St. Luke's. So if there's some kind of system crossover, then they may get a second bill, but as long as the patient is willing and able to stay in the same system, so to go from Methodist to Methodist or Herman to Ehrman or HCA to HCA or St. Luke's to St. Luke's, then there is no second charge and we all cover that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And just for the medics listening out there, this is a situation where you definitely wanna make sure that your patient is on board with the transport site and that they're aware of the hospital system affiliation. If there's a patient preference, as we know, always bottom line, patient preference it takes precedent. If, if they want to go to whichever system, name the system at the round table, that's, that's where we're going to take our patients. And so if we keep them in the system that they desire, then this, you know, the second bill is not going to be an issue. So that's, that's one that's easy to take off, the, take off the top. Let's go with number two. And that is if the patient, what about pa patients that may need to be admitted? They can't go to a freestanding if they need to be admitted to the hospital right and that's one that definitely has persisted out there um in within the within the medics that are listening so i'll let dr knight take this one and and talk to that one within your system and that this is one i feel like we all at the table agree on so go ahead and speak for all of us well thank you for the opportunity to bust that myth so every one of us admit people directly to our hospitals and icus from our freestanding ed almost all the time we're able to bypass the main emergency department entirely. So we have the same consultants on call, we have the same medical infrastructure in place. And so if you bring a patient to us with atrial fibrillation with rapid ventricular rate and they get put on a drip and need to be admitted, those people can be admitted directly to our hospital. So it is a myth that patients can't be admitted from a freestanding ED. We can all um, admit to our own hospital systems very easily. And from a system standpoint, you know, staffing wise, nursing staff, uh, physician staff, you know, with this potential small but real uptick in ambulance transport to your systems, they're aware that this is the expectation and they're comfortable taking potential admits from EMS as well, correct? Correct. And many of us even have arrangements so that if for whatever reason a patient needs 
a shoulder reduced or a fracture reduction that for whatever reason can't be done in the freestanding ED. Almost all of us do fracture reductions and dislocation reductions, but let's say there's some permutations like an artificial hip that's out that the provider's not really comfortable putting back in. Almost all of us have a transfer relationship with the main hospital because all of our doctors essentially work at both places. So it's very easy to move those people back and forth to get them the resources they need. So if, for example, a patient needs a plastic surgery repair, um, a hand procedure, an ENT procedure, we can all kind of arrange for all of that to be done directly from our freestanding EDs. Excellent. So that moves us into myth three. And this is one that uh, I know I've heard from, from several paramedics and folks in the community as well. And that is that freestanding emergency department care is, is potentially below the level of the main EDs. I want, I want the real emergency physicians, not the freestanding emergency physicians. I say that with quotes lightly because I'm one that's both. Um, talk to us, Dr. Jensen, about how that's dealt with within the CHI St. Luke system. I know this mirrors all of our partners here as well. Sure, that's an easy one. Thanks for giving it to me. Um, I'll tell you that I'm one that does both as well. I, <laughs> I worked a freestanding ED shift on Sunday, and tomorrow morning I'm the 6 a.m. doc at St. Luke's, Maine. Um, so, so that's the case for, we've, and we've talked about this around the table, that's the case for all of us. Um, all of our physicians are credentialed by the same hospital oversight board. They have the same level of training. They have the same uh, quality protocols, quality metrics, same level of oversight. The expectation is exactly the same when you, whether you're working at uh, one of the freestanding EDs or the main hospital. Just to say it very bluntly, a patient who shows up at, at one of our facilities uh, should have the exact same level of care regardless of where they go. Excellent. And this, you know, for those listening that have been in Texas, been in the area for, for longer than a couple years, will know that there definitely has been some, some con consolidation in the freestanding emergency department world and that, you know, as, as you can tell from our discussion, we're talking with all of our major hospital partners here. And so that level of credential, credentialing and level of oversight starts at the, you know, the administration level at Methodist and at HCA and at CHI St. Luke's and at Memorial Hermann. So that's, that's where we have, you know, a uniform uh, level of, of continuity that allows us as MCHD to feel comfortable that you're going to be getting that care um, when you arrive in, in all of these locations. Right. So that's, that's an easy one to bust. Last one is more of, you know, a reminder to our medic listeners. So we busted some myths, but let's make sure we don't gloss over the fact that there are some patients who are not appropriate for freestanding in EDs. And let's talk about some of who are those, who they are and what they look like. Thank you for that. So this is, I guess, more the either the fun or the controversial question. So um, if, if any of my colleagues want to want to want to offer some advice as well. But, um, you know, as, as we alluded to, the freestanding EDs, although we have uh, the same medical staff that staff the EDs, we do have a lot of the same capabilities. They are a much smaller environment from a resource standpoint, most specifically a man hour standpoint. So typically staffed with one physician and one nurse, occasionally two if it's really busy and a, and a secretary of sorts. So those patients that would require a lot of labor intensive services, 
violent patients, aggressive patients, very disruptive patients, those really would be better suited in an environment, that one of the main ED environments where we've got the resources to care for those uh, in a safer way for the staff so that other patients uh, as well are, are, are taken care of. Um, I think all of you, all of the paramedics in, in MCHD do a wonderful job in, in recognizing sick versus not sick. Um, and and when, when it comes to, to trauma patients, uh, I think everybody does a really good job. So those hypotensive, multi-system trauma patients, not the best place, uh, the freestanding is not the best place for them. We do have blood in the ED and plasma in the event we do need to emergently transfuse, but that's again someone that we would stabilized and ship and heck it might be you guys shipping it too to the main hospital after we get them stabilized if we're the closest but um but but thinking about it in that context which which patient may require a lot of resources may be a little dangerous or, or altered um is is generally not appropriate now with that said you know having some chest pain patients with stable vital signs belly pain patients with stable vital signs low mechanism, MVCs, you know, those are, are perfect for the, for the freestanding, uh, at least within our system, because you know, in the event that that belly pain turns out to be an appy, we can get them to the main site, we can get them diagnosed very quickly and intervene uh, and get them transported in, in a rapid manner. Um, uh, uh, the other, the other and chest pain patients, so again, chest pain patients and stable vital signs, uh, if you don't see a STEMI on your EKG, um, you know, and, and, and we're the closest and, and they're stable, happy to have them evaluated and we can get the troponins, we can do the workup to the degree that we need. If we need to chase down a PE, we can chase down a PE as well. So, um, pregnant patients uh, in active labor most certainly we would hope to avoid the freestanding as we don't have L&D backup in those, those, uh, those locations. And pregnant patients involved in trauma tend to be really high risk as well. Um, but again, using your best judgment and sometimes that the physical facility is the closest to where the patient is and, and if, if you need the resources, please stop and, and let's work together to get that patient stabilized and, and, and to a main hospital, which, which most certainly we're all committed to. Uh, but, but those are special populations that we would have to think of. Sure, and just, just to roll through our clinical guideline really quickly for the medics listening, you know, realistically summing, summing that up, in a couple sentences. It's the time-sensitive emergencies, right? The STEMI, strokes, sepsis alerts. Those are ones that need all hands on deck, right? They need more than one nurse and one rad tech and one, one clerk, right? Pregnant patients, for sure, um, are gonna need, they're gonna need L&D and OB, potentially, and th those don't, don't exist in the freestanding, so that's a fairly obvious one. Trauma falls right into uh, time-sensitive emergency, right? They may need emergent operative intervention, and a second transfer can potentially delay that. Again, not that a stab wound or a gunshot wound can't walk into a freestanding. I've had both happen to me in the past. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to transport, we need to be wise enough as the medics doing that transport to get the patient to the right spot in the first place. And remember to include mechanism in your, in your, you know, your decision pathway with these folks and to assume the worst with mechanism. If a patient rolls their truck if they you know slide their motorcycle into the guardrail these are high high mechanism injuries if they fall 15 feet those are all things that need to be in the trauma centers patients with a shock index right look for shock index look consider the need for blood products again time sensitive type situations as we know shock index heart rate over systolic you know 0.8 to 1 we really want to sort of 
have our antennas up and, and be thinking about, you know, septic shock. And again, that's going to be, a t you know, a considered a time-sensitive emergency here at MCHD. Patients re requiring ventilatory support should be obvious, right? If you're going to be need, need to be on the ventilator or going to even need BiPAP, you probably need a respiratory therapist. You know, you're going to need more than a single nurse and, and a single physician there. Acute delirium, patients requiring physical or chemical restraints should be obvious from a, you know, from a, a intervention standpoint. You're, you're going to need more than just a single nurse and a single physician. And then last but not least, you know, patients with mental health issues, you know, that oftentimes requires caseworkers, social workers, um, you know, a very multifaceted team that again is easier to access in the main EDs than in the freestanding EDs. So that's your that's your clinical guideline. Be sure to be familiar with that if you're if you're listening out there, MCHD medics. Um, and that really gets us towards the end. Is there anything anybody, any of the guests wants to add and then we'll wrap it up. I'd like to thank everybody for joining. This is a really an excellent opportunity to collaborate with everyone and get everybody in the same room. Uh, hopefully listeners out there appreciate this. We're really trying to make an effort for the community to benefit the community as a whole and to keep our keep our folks uh, and patients satisfied and happy keep our trucks on the street and be more available quicker response times mm -hmm. there's really no no loss here to be seen from my standpoint thanks everybody for joining appreciate your time thank you for having thank us you. thank you for having us sir. as always if you have questions or concerns please hit us up at the podcast email podcast at mchd-tx.org. We'll include the clinical guidelines and some of the information that we talked about today in the show notes. If you're a listener on iTunes, leave us a like or a review. As always, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.